Turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. And if you would stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you uh, down through verse 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who had not seen my face, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. God, I ask that in this time that you would stir our hearts to understand the gospel better, understand who Christ is and uh, the impact that he should have in our lives. God, open our hearts. I, I pray that even now, that you would uh, remove the turmoil in our mind, that we might focus on Christ. God, cause us to not cling to the selfishness of this last week or the, the sins that we have committed, the anxious thoughts that we hold, and that we may focus on Christ. God, we need your help. You know how unable we are to control our minds sometimes. And so I ask that your spirit would work mightily in us as we seek your word, as your spirit is our teacher. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I thought of the, the time those Marines were training... Um, it was real interesting to me that they, uh, that Thomas was learning how to walk. He was my friend. Thomas was learning how to walk. He was learning how to talk and how to think and how to make his bed and how to eat and all these different things he had to relearn because the Marines just have a different way of doing everything. And uh, so he was in a, a task of... Of, of learning things anew. And, and my boys were going, well, why does it take so long? And what were they doing? And they had all kinds of questions. And I, I said, you know what? They're, they're preparing for the war. They're preparing for the war. They're, they're getting ready for what might come ahead. They're learning things in preparation. And I think as I, I look at this passage, I, I think it has a lot to do with that. And, and sometimes we think that we can just meander through life and good things will just happen to us, that God will just take us and He will make sure everything good happens in our life without us exerting effort, without us changing, without us changing. And this morning, I've titled the message, Vulnerable No More, Vulnerable No More. 
I want you to think right now what your life, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to think about who you were apart from Christ. Before, whenever that was, maybe it was just a few months and maybe it has been years. And, and what were you like before Christ? For some of us, it's hard to remember because it happened as a child. And maybe you can think what your life would be like as an adult without Christ. What were the sins that you would have been about? What, were, what would your life consisted of? What would have been your priorities? What would have been your temptations and your downfalls? I think about that and I think one word comes to my mind is vulnerable to everything, to everything. That this world just would jerk you from one thing to another. That one sin would trip you up and and trample you one right after the other. What's interesting about sin too, it wouldn't just be your own sin. But also the sins of others. They They would trample you. They would run over you over and over again. And when I look at this passage, I came up with the title, Vulnerable No More. And this morning, I really believe this message. I, I hate to um, make one message like, it, it's interesting. Pastors always want to talk in big words. and This is the most important message. I want to say that this morning. I realize there are other messages in the scripture that are also the most important message. But for you right now, today, this is the most important message. And I want to tell you too, That this, if you grab hold of this, this could change your Sunday afternoon. This could affect your Monday and your Tuesday. If you've been struggling this last week, this may be the thing that you're looking for. Because I think it's that big what we're going to talk about today. We're in chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. And it has been a, a focus on Christ over and over and over again. And really, uh, today we're going to make the transition on not away from Christ, but what we are to do, how we are to live. I think sometimes as we read the commands of Scripture, we look at it as a to-do list or um, you're bad if you don't do these. And uh, some of us in a rebellion in our own heart, we like being bad. And so we're like, well, maybe I do my own thing. I, I want you to get this this morning that your sins, they terrorize you. They terrorize you. Your weaknesses, they're the thing that dog your feet. They're, they're the things that trip you up and make your life difficult. And for you to conquer some of those things, for you to have victory where you had failure before, it's good for you. And so this morning, as we look at some, some really keys to the living the Christian life, um, I want to tell you, this isn't just good for this church, which it is, but it is good for you and even immediately good for you. We start at verse 4 this morning. Uh, and God's Word says this, and really it, it speaks of the danger that we have. In verse 4 he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this, meaning he, his focus on Christ and where he's going to go with 
how it is to live with Christ. He says, I say this so that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. Lies don't hurt, right? Uh, conveniently believed lies, they, they don't hurt that bad, right? Well, yeah, they do. If I were if I were driving down the road and I got lost, not that I would ever get lost, not that I would ever get lost, and I would see someone on the side of the road and I go, I know I'm lost. I know I'm lost. I'm going to ask him. Not that I would ask. Not that I would ask either. But I ask somebody and I say to them, uh, this is where I'm going. How do you get there? And they'd say, oh, just take a right here and follow this road. And when you get to the stop, take a left and you can't miss it. You can't miss it. And with confidence, I go, thank you. And I hop in my car and I make the make those directions. And as I leave, the guy just goes, that's awesome. That's awesome. He doesn't know where he's going because I just sent him the complete opposite way. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He'll figure it out eventually. No big deal. And and I think that sometimes in life we say, it doesn't really matter what I believe. It doesn't really matter who I follow. It doesn't really matter who I listen to. We get this idea that, that anything people say, it must be good, right? And we have, we have the ability to kind of sort through and pick and choose. And things that sound good to us, we'll take in. And things that don't, we'll say, we'll leave them behind. But he says, be careful. He says, the reason I'm talking about Christ, the reason I am bringing this in such a, a relentless, verse after verse sort of way, is for your protection. For your protection. In verse 4 he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. <laughs> that idea of plausible arguments in different versions, it says it a little bit different. Fine sounding. And, and, and the point is not those things that are outright foolish, but it's the things that kind of sound right. The kind of the wisdom of this world. The things that really... Um, sound good and and they're written in books they're written in books I, I think that's hard isn't it have you ever not known something about a topic and you've gone to the bookstore and you go into the particular section whether it be cars or whether it be uh, medicine or whether it be child rearing or, or any of these things and you go to a particular section and you say boy i really want to know about this and so you you look in the section and you say oh this one has a nice cover this one has a nice cover we do that don't we and sometimes we'll buy a book and we'll read it because it has a nice cover some of you are going oh that's so shallow what he's saying right there i'd never do that yeah, you would. <laughs> Done it before. Some of you are you know, wiser and you look on the back and you say, who's the author? Who's the author? And it says on there, Dr. So-and-so. And it's got a bunch of letters after his name, you know. And you go, oh, this must be a good one. I'm going to buy this book because he's got a lot of letters and he must know what he's talking about because of those letters. Mike, is that true? <laughs> no. Mike knows. He's got letters. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? There's plenty of people we listen to, and this is what it's talking about. As we look at God's Word today, He says, 
I want to make sure. Paul, as he's talking to this church, he doesn't really have really seen him even face to face. He's heard of their testimony. They've heard of his teachings. They've come to know Christ. But, but he says, I, I'm doing this for your protection. To protect you against those fine sounding arguments. Those, those seeming wise things that are out there in the world. I don't want to leave this too quickly because I think we're susceptible to it, aren't we? I think about it when it comes to politics. You'll quote this person or that person. You know what I heard the other day on the radio or you know what I saw on the news. I was listening to so-and-so, his program, and you know what he said. You know what he thinks. I want to tell you that those may be close and right and almost there, but they don't compare to Christ. Some of us, we, we think about that when we think of, you know, some of the people that are followed. And I'm going to use her name over and over again. Oprah. People say, well, I saw an Oprah the other day and I saw this person on Oprah. So it must be good. It's that validation, that stamp that says this is good. I think about uh, different history material that you've read and you say, well, you know, I read this history. History book's an interesting one, isn't it? Because... Most of us grew up thinking that history was just history, right? You know, you can't twist history, right? Are you kidding me? We do it every day, you know? Hey, some of us are shocked by that, but if you hear, um, if you're a husband and, and wife, if you're married, and you start talking about something that happened five years ago, totally different perspectives, you know? <laughs> I want to tell you, too, that uh, some of this fine-sounding arguments and this plausible uh, uh, things that could come up could come from your own parents, your own parents. My mom always taught me. My dad always taught me. My dad always said, you know, in our family, we believe. Uh, doesn't compare to Christ. And he says, I, I want to protect you. I, I don't want you to be vulnerable to the things of this world. This is why he's going to say what he's going to say, and this is why he's going to give us the key that really will make the difference for us. It's interesting, too, he goes on in verse 5, he talks about his joyful partnership with them, his joyful partnership. And I love this. I love the way Paul, his heart breaks as well as rejoices for this church. He doesn't even really know. And I think about that, and I think about that amazing tie to the gospel. Amazing tie to the gospel. Because our hearts are knit in the gospel. That when you hear of another church, believers in another town, you've never gone there, you don't know what they look like. But because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have this amazing relationship. Because of the gospel, we're family. In verse 5, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. He says, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The idea of good order, uh, good order and firmness of your faith is the idea of what I saw on the parade deck as they were marching before they were orderly i thought it was awesome to see these young men all standing there 
perfect row. And then at the command, they, they went like this. And, and like the, I mean, they, were, they knew what they were doing. And there was a sense of firmness. And, or it, was, it wasn't the idea of reckless disarray. Can you imagine trying to make Marines out of kindergartners? I always loved. I always loved when our kids were in kindergarten. Uh, you know, the teacher would stand there, and uh, they'd line up, and you know, there's pushing and shoving and jockeying for first place, and and the teacher would say, you know, pick one girl. There's always one girl, right? I, I love it how Megan is standing there nicely in line and not pushing and shoving. <laughs> Megan was scared to push and shove. <laughs> yeah. And then, they, or then she'll say, you know what, um, I, one, one kid would let another one go because he was bigger than him to be in line first. He'd say, I, I love how that person let, let them go first. And so then they're jockeying for the back position. They're pushing and shoving, hoping that the teacher will allow them to go last. But the, the picture here is what, what causes Paul to rejoice about the Colossian church. What is it? The soundness and firmness of their faith. The idea that they had disciplined strength in them. And, and there's an important piece of the puzzle. I think sometimes as we'll read through Colossians, we'll think they're a church that was super needy and they were buying into everything. I think the way this goes is this. They were a great church. They were a great church, but a young church. They had the elementary beginnings of soundness and firmness of faith. But just because we start well does not mean that we're not susceptible to going astray down the road. And so he he speaks to them and he speaks of his joyful partnership with them. His joyful partnership in verse 5. He's absent from them, yet his heart is with them, his spirit is with them. Uh, Commentators argue in their if that's the spirit of God or if it's Paul's own personal spirit. Um, it's not really, it's tough to argue about that. We don't really know. I want to tell you as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's so blended that it's not worth talking about because we, our person, who we are, um, is so intertwined with the spirit of God working in us that, that what Paul's saying is, I am with you. I am with you. All that God has made me, He has placed me with you. And as He says that, as He says that, the thing that brings Him joy, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. He sees this church and He sees that they're orderly. And the the idea of orderly, it's also that they have strength under control. I was amazed at these young men, and the, the particular young man that I knew, um, he gained 10 pounds in boot camp. And it was all muscle. It was all muscle. And there, there was a sense in which that he, he grew, his body grew, and it was strength under control. It was ready to go. And, and there's a sense in us that God wants us to be where we need to be in firmness, in order, in order, strength, ready to go, ready to go. This morning, as I I thought about our church, I wonder if that's true. 
I wonder if that's true. I wonder if we are that church that is orderly, is in the place where we need to be doing what we need to be doing, under control personally, and yet having the strength ready to serve Him, ready to go. This is what caused Paul to rejoice as he thought of this church. That was his joyful partnership. And in verse 6, we get to the big point, the answer to life. And I had to make it big, right? The answer to life. doesn't get any bigger than that, does it? The answer for the universe and beyond. The answer to life. This verse is so important to us. This verse, these couple of verses here really have what we need this morning. Listen to this. As we look, he says, therefore, and that's always connecting. And uh, over and over again, Paul uses this and others that, that they're, they're building upon an argument that these aren't just random verses that they, they thought uh, God inspired one, God inspired the others, and they just kind of threw them all together. He's building on a point. And he, he ties this together and he says, therefore, he says, this is what we should be because we are vulnerable, because this is so great. He says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. I want to walk us through this. First of all is receive Christ. Receive Christ. Don't, I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, but don't overlook this. Don't overlook this. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Some of you say, well, you know, I just want to be a good person and live a life down here. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good person, but I need a little adjusting. And I think that stuff in the Bible will help me. Don't say that. Don't say that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are weak, that we are crippled, that we are up to our gills in sin, and even the potential for greater sin. That this is what we are apart from Christ and that we are not residents of heaven. We are not part of his family apart from Jesus Christ. That Ephesians talks about that we are dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. And that always overwhelms me because I think, I don't feel that bad. And yet it says I'm dead in my sins. And, And what happens to things that are dead? They get buried and done. There's nothing good in them. There's no sense of like, hey, give him some time. That dead person will hop up. You know, you don't give anything dead time. It's done. And so are we apart from Jesus Christ. Step one, receive Christ. Receive Christ. Turn your life over to him. Give, Give him the mess that we have made and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. To not, to not say, I'll give you a little part over here. I'll, you know, I'll take that class, but I'm going to take some other classes as well. I'll give you a portion of my spare time. I'll give you the leftovers. No, oh, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to do. In verse 6, it says, receive Christ Jesus because he's the Lord, right? He's the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. I, I find that interesting that so many people uh, walk around this world with their chest puffed out and they say, well, 
I'll check out that Jesus stuff to see if he gets my life. Like it's something great to get in the first place. And that we would be the ones to somehow deciding on his worth. He is the Lord. He is the boss. He is the one over all. But he says to this Colossian church, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's talking about it and in the past, you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, they'd already accepted it. And as near as we can tell, it came from Paul through Epaphras and it was brought to the city. He says, receive Christ. But this is the part that maybe we missed. We missed. Maybe this is the part that we're struggling with today. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. That word walk is a a Paul word, you know. Many others used it, but he loved using it to describe the course of life. And you picture uh, someone walking along life, walking along. And obviously walking was a bigger deal to them. Some of us uh, go out walking just for exercise and we don't get very far, right? We started our house and we ended our house. You know, where are we going? Just back to our house, you know. It's going in a circle. It's kind of, the treadmill's even worse, right? You know, the treadmill, you're going, man, I'm really getting someplace here. No, you're not. There's that, but, but in biblical times, Paul loved this word, the idea of walking, because you know where they walked? Everywhere, everywhere. There's a sense of they knew how to walk. I don't know if some of you have been to maybe a big city like New York, and it's interesting to me how much they walk. And it's just a part of their life. It's what they're doing. And and Paul pictures that. He says, as you live your life, as you're walking through life, walk in Him. Walk in Him. Some of you are saying, well, I've heard some of this stuff before. Then why aren't you doing it? Then why aren't you doing it? I was thinking about this in terms of me. And can you imagine, this doesn't read like this, but what if the scripture um, would read like this? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and for me it would say, so walk in Kevin. Kevin was a mess. Kevin was a mess. He needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he received him. So now that he received him, he goes back to walking in himself. How's that sound? Sounds stupid. Forgive me for using... I needed a bigger word, right? Sounds stupid. I made a mess of all that I am. I've destroyed all my potential and I'm on the way to destroying others as well. And I needed the Lord Jesus Christ, so I received Him. Now I'm going to go live in me? doesn't make sense. Kevin the Lord. That doesn't sound right. So walk in Kevin. In the power and wisdom and purposes of Kevin. Some of you are laughing at me, but insert your own name. 
Insert your own name. Came to know Lord Jesus. But now, but now, walk. Insert your own name. Say it out loud. Have your spouse laugh, you know. Right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not what he created us for. It's not what he saved us for. He wants us to walk in him. If you're taking notes, insert that in there and then just cross it out. This doesn't make you feel good, right? It'll make you feel good to cross that out and say, this is not the way to live. And guess what? Guess what? If you struggled this week, if you struggled this week, that's what you did. That's what you did. You received the Lord Jesus Christ, but then you went to yourself. You went to yourself. You said, I can handle this. My wisdom's enough. The way I think about it's enough. The way, the way I lived before, I, I'll do that again. Don't go back. Don't go back. To walk in Him. Walk in Him. It tells us four ways to do that. And I want to walk through those this morning. Um, verse 7. So walk in Him. Rooted. 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 Do you get that picture? It's the picture of a plant, right? It's a picture of a plant. I remember uh, we lived on a piece of property in Santa Barbara that had a lot of trees that were being removed. Old lemon trees that had been there for many, many years. And I remember uh, my dad said, we're going to take that tree out. And I'm like, sweet, let's go take it out. And uh, as a young boy, uh, I used to, he'd say, well, how are we going to take it out? And I Dad would say, we're just going to rip it out. And so I'm like, sweet, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a Marine, you know. And uh, so, so I remember grabbing these really stout trunks and just yanking on them. And my dad standing back laughing, going, you're not going to do that. And then I, I, I remember digging around and, and exposing the root system and realizing that it was, far, it was attached. It was anchored. It was anchored by an unseen strength that I didn't know about. I want you to get this picture. I believe this is accurate to the scriptures. What are we supposed to have? What are we supposed to have in Christ, in Him? We're supposed to have an unseen anchor. An unseen anchor. There's a sense of a private anchor, if you will. It's not something the world can see. We may be pretty insignificant as we stand out for the world to see, but there's something that goes down deeper that means that we have strength and that we will stand. You think about what that would look like if uh, a tree had no root system. The wind would blow, it would tip over. We'd stand it back up again, it would tip over again. There's no strength. There's no, there's no foundation. And this is the picture. He says, we are rooted in Him. We are rooted in Him. This morning, I, I want to ask you a question. As we meet here this morning, if, if this is all there is of your relationship with Christ, if it's just something that's seen, if it's your service, if it's your attendance, if, if, I want to tell you it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. We are to be rooted in Christ. We're to be deep in Him. 
I think about how the root system works, and I, I don't know a whole lot about the ins and outs of that, but I know this, that a plant gets its nutrients from the ground, the water, and the soil. And it, it comes up, and you may not see it happening, but it is happening. And the strength comes from that which is below. To be in Christ. To be in Christ. He uses the word rooted, but he also uses another word that's very similar. He says rooted and built up in Him. And built up in Him. Once again, the, the idea of built up is the idea of strength, right? There's a there's an unseen anchor, but there's also a strength that we see. But it's not in us again, right? Makes me crazy. Makes me crazy in the church. In some, granted, it's not that far, right? It's not that far for me to become crazy. But uh, in the church where where we talk about people and we say, boy, they're just strong people. They're just strong people. No, they're not. There's one of two things happening when we see strong people in the church. It's fake. It's a facade, right? It's not true. I don't know how many times I've thought people were strong in the church and they come and they're they're standing and they're saying all the right things and doing all the right things. And I find out later they're just crumbling in their room at home and they're they're weeping and they're weak and they, they're falling down, but they're showing themselves to be awesome. You know, it's not real. But the second thing, and this is what we're looking for, it's not strength in ourselves. It's strength in Him. Strength in Him. If we're ever strong, if we're ever to be strong, it's to be in Him. It's the idea of Him being building us and strengthening us into what He wants us to be. Rooted and built up in Him. Goes on to say, established in the faith, established in the faith. The idea of established, it's the idea of being validated and confirmed. I saw a picture at the, uh, I, I witnessed a picture happening as part of this ceremony where the particular commander that was in charge of these Marines, he, come, he came and it was him validating that they were now Marines. He decided upon his inspection of what they had accomplished and what they have done. They now are, are able to be Marines. And what happens over time in us, as God works in our life, that, that we have this repeated validation that our faith shows us to be genuine. This is what's supposed to happen. That we are supposed to, through trials, through things that are going on, you know what? Um, it, it's interesting. We can come to church for a long time. We can agree. We can sign papers and say, this is who I am. We can verbalize it. And yet trials, trials show our faith to be genuine, right? Not to God. He already knows. But to us and to others. This faith, this validating faith that shows itself. It's interesting, uh, in the midst of this list of four things that he tells us that we are to be about, establishing our faith, just as you were taught, he says, just as you were taught. I want you, I want you to see this, that, that the gospel that you accepted, you never leave from. That Jesus died for sinners and that you're needy of a Savior. Don't ever leave that. You know why? 
Because what he's saying is, just as you receive Christ, still walk in him. And, you know, you need to be uh, rooted in him. You, you need to be strengthened in him, established in your faith, just as you were taught. When? When you heard the gospel. Just continues to flow through your life. If you've known the Lord Jesus Christ for 30, 40 years, guess what you need today? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to be saved again, but that same message that gave you confidence in him back then will give you confidence today. There's one one last point here, and I want, I want you to see it. And it's part of our offensive, uh, offensive protection that we won't be thrown, tossed to and fro by these, these arguments and these plausible things that people say. And it's very interesting to me because we wouldn't have thought of it. Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. That part of us walking in Him is that we are to be thankful people. I don't want a show of hands or pointing at your spouse or your kids or whoever you're going to point at and point the finger about. But complaining is not a spiritual gift. It's not. It's not. It's not from God. In fact, I'll say it this way. Every time we complain... Every time we complain, we're complaining about our Savior. Complaining about our Savior. I say that so big because it is. You say, no, no, I'm complaining about my spouse. Complaining about my kids. I'm complaining about my job. I'm complaining about the weather. I'm complaining about my health. I'm complaining about these other things. I would never complain about my Savior. Who's the Lord over all? Who's the Lord over all? Do you think he fell asleep? Do you think he, he missed? He, you think that he missed uh, you're putting the wrong kids in your home and he doesn't see what's going on? You, you don't think he knows about the weather? You don't think he knows about your job? Is there this cone of silence that he can't see or hear? Or, what's going on? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. If we are not thankful, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to other arguments coming into our heart and life, for us living in a different way, for us listening to somebody else other than our Lord. I find that empowering today. I find that exciting. You say, well, I need to be thankful. I need to see things to be thankful for. I know there are things that I can be thankful for. I know that the Lord Jesus has done things in my life and handed me things and given me blessings that I can be thankful for today. And you know what that will do in me? You know what that will do in me? It will not make me vulnerable to get tossed to and fro by the junk of this world. Do you get that? Super important. We don't be thankful. We're not called to be thankful when Thanksgiving hits us. When it dawns on us, but all the time. And I tell you, complaining and, and this, this pouring out of the junk of our heart, guess what? That's a cancer. That's a cancer. And it crushes us. It makes us vulnerable to the things of this world. I have more to say, but I guess I'll leave that for another time. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity of listening to your word. 
God, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would work in us now, that would just do that work of continuing to teach us and mold us and shape us. God, I pray that you give us joy, give us joy as we embrace your grace and realizing our own inabilities and yet thrilling in our hearts because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same Jesus that saved us. We now walk in, walk in him. Thank you in Jesus' name.